0: This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 742, brought to you by the new Audible original, The Sandman, and iFanboy listeners just like you who are washing their hands, wearing their masks, doing the thing. A mannequin Secret secret! I've got a secret! With parts made in Japan You don't know that we did that live. <laughs> and I was not prepared. <laughs> that really came for me. <laughs> Thank you, Sticks. <laughs> well, come hello to the pick of the I was like, oh no, I can't take other I can't take other shots at this, but uh, <laughs> welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week number seven hundred and forty two. I'm Josh Flanagan. this is my co host, Garner Kilpatrick. Anything different freaks us out. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: You do you one can't... thing the same way for fifteen years. Oh, yeah. And then you, you go changing it up.
0: It's all <laughs> fucked up. Well, people, I don't, did we do this on the air before? Or were we talking about how uh, we recently, I mean, relatively recently, were like, you know, I started doing the show notes while I edited. And you were like, me too. <laughs> why did we not do that? That was stupidly long to figure out. <laughs> it's been like 13, 14 years. Yeah, it
1: was like 13 years. Like, why don't I do the show notes while I'm editing as opposed to
0: after spending another <laughs> two hours afterwards? <laughs> I am Josh Flanagan. This is my co-host, Conoco Patrick. Hi, not everyone. The We're dumb. not the swiftest. Oh, yeah. Not the sharpest hammer in the toolbox. We are our fanboy. Every week <laughs> we read our stack of comics, and one of us picks the one they like the best, and we call that the pick of the week. We are going to talk about that book. We're going to talk about from any other book that we had something enlightening to say about. We will talk about it. And then there's listener mail, if possible. There's a patron pick. Yep. There should be powers, which I just remembered as yep. a thing I needed to mm-hmm. think about. Yep. And it should be a good time. We will talk about what happens in the books. So if you haven't read them, you could be spoiled. That's your warning. Conor, you had the pick. And look, it's a DC anthology.
1: I read my books Wednesday and finished reading and there wasn't like a jumps out in front of you, kicks you in the balls pick. There's a lot of books I really liked, but... Like, there's a lot of books I, I like, oh, I like this book a lot, but mm-hmm. there was like four or five books I really liked a lot that just, but,
0: dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot. I had one very clear. Interesting. I was like, oh, that's that's the pick. We'll get to it. I'm
1: curious. So then I slept on it and I woke up the next morning and I found myself thinking about a handful of the stories from this DC cybernetic summer number one 80 page giant that DC has been doing these anthologies a lot lately. And they get interesting people to work on them. And now I'm not going to say this entire issue was great. It wasn't. But there were three really terrific stories in here amongst a handful of good ones and a couple of them that weren't that great. But there was three really terrific ones. And I found myself the next day not thinking about other full issues, but thinking about these three short stories. So I thought, well, there you go.
0: Did you read this or is it all me? They do these for, they've been doing for, you know, like spring winter yep. christmas holiday valentine's day halloween and i generally don't really like them mm-hmm. however i really like the idea of them and i really like that they're being done yeah short stories are a great way to use comics i just i am just not super interested in them
1: so it's not gonna be a super long discussion first off right out of the gate your first story is batman in limits of control written by karina becco and gabriel hardman drawn by gabriel hardman and so this is again dc cybernetic summer so each one of these stories has to do with robots Or technology, or cyborgs, or the metal men. There's always some robotic element to the story. It's in this short story, and it's a short story, so you get right into the action. You don't get a lot of backstory. Batman is in space in one of his spaceships, and he is. Something weird is going on with the satellites up there. The space stations are all sort of combining into one entity. And he boards the ship and realizes it's Brother I, his old creation. this is definitely old continuity Batman. Brother Eye's old creation is sort of assimilating all of these satellites and spaceships. I Brother Eye was a fourth world thing
0: for some reason. I right, but this,
1: if you call Batman and Brother Eye were together in the in the pre-52, that was that whole checkmate story. And yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Gabriel Hardman getting to do space sci-fi with Batman, a character he really draws very well. And also there's a really great comedic beat hmm. in this piece. Batman's in his giant space suit and he's fighting off the drones in the space station and He's trying to shut Butter Eye down, but he doesn't have, like, he, he can't access the, the program to do so. He gets ejected from the suit. He can't shut down the thing anymore. And he's like, there's one other person who can do this, who can save the day. And we cut to Alfred on vacation. So he's, a, he's no help. He was, he was the one who could have done it from the back cave, but we see him swimming with the giant turtles. He's got a snorkel gear on. It's this great smash cut, too. Batman's building up to Alfred can save the day. We cut to literally Alfred snorkeling. I mean, he he deserves that. He totally deserves it. Yeah. And there's a lady calling his name. His phone's ringing. There's a message saying, initiate mecha suit auto (laughs) Destructs," But he's snorkeling. Yeah. Dude doesn't see his phone. There's a Mai Tai and there's a woman in a bikini and there's a giant turtle. He's got other things to do. So Batman has to figure out how to save the day. But there's just great action from Gabriel Hardman... He's the master of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was a little funny. It was a little exciting. It's only, you know, it's five or six pages or however long it is. That was a really, really good one. And then I think I'm going to lead up to the last one I like the most. So then there's a really fun Booster Gold and Blue Beetle story, The Boys of Summer, written by Heath Corson, someone I don't know. Art by Scott Koblish, who
0: we, we've liked a lot in the past. He
1: used to draw that book that you, you always talked
0: about. Yeah, uh, it was I a don't Deadpool? remember what it is. It was mm. those Deadpool issues, those random Maybe Deadpool issues. Maybe it was. Issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, the, like they'd have like in the middle – yeah. Sort of connectors. Yeah. Like, like before that, there was like a Nicole Scott, One Woman and Platinum from
1: Metalman story. That was fun. There was a David LaFuente drawn Josh Williamson Flash story, which looked great, but David LaFuente's art doesn't really help with the new costume design. All these random sort of interesting pairings. But then the Booster Gold Blue Beetle story was a really fun time travel story in which, again, pre continuity, best buddies, blue beetle and booster gold are going to the beach, but the beach is too crowded. So they get in <laughs> Booster's time bubble to go back in time to a less crowded day. Which leads to this sort of cascading time travel event in which Blue Beetles and Booster Golds keep showing up at this beach at the same time, but from the different times in their lives. So you get like middle aged mm-hmm. blue beetle and booster gold in, in really bad haircuts and facial hair, and then you get like an you know, older men. Blue Beetle keeps getting progressively fatter as we as he shows up, and then we get like elderly versions. And it's just it was this really funny sort of stacking story in which you know, there'd be a buzz in it, and then another Bubble would show up, and then you'd get, like, really Booster Gold looking like a professional wrestler, and Blue Beetle with with a, with a the gut, and then modern Blue Beetle tosses the chips away in fear. Like, it's just... It got funnier and funnier as it goes along, and then... Totally that sounds g- real good. It was funny. And then yeah. King Shark shows up with a treasure box, and they all sort of party on the beach. It was a fun, funny story. The technology there would be, would be the time travel element of it. Nice. But the one that sort of blew me away that I wasn't expecting at all... I wasn't expecting anything at all, but the one that blew me away was... Robot Man in Summer Bummer, written by Max Bemis, who, we did, who did that Moon Knight run we really mm-hmm. liked. Drawn by Greg Smallwood. And I almost sent you pages from this, Josh, to, to make sure you read it. But this was... Oh, Greg Smallwood. This was incredibly good. This was okay. sort of Robot Man's ennui as he tries to hang out with his old buddies who are not robots and not superheroes. <laughs> and, you know, their lifestyle doesn't really mesh with his lifestyle. And it's just all these really funny beats. It's almost like a vignette. They're at a club... He's not having fun. Some girl asks if he has Wi-Fi because the signal in here sucks. <laughs> and then the gears switch up and they go hang out with the metalman and Cyborg and Red Tornado and live his life with his buddy. And at one point, they're all super high, but like robot high, not like human high. And because they're, they're sucking down something and like Cyborg and Red Tornado and, and Cliff are all plugged into this machine. It's like three guys around a giant bong. We're basically talking That's about weird. upgrades and, and God, if God exists and... It made me laugh. It was fucking gorgeous. Greg Smallwood is—he's he, one of those
0: people that if I see his name, I—if I don't read it, I look at it. Like he's that good.
1: And then the end—the end of the story. Going to the comic shop, and it says a, a summer without comics ain't no summer at all.
0: Three great short stories, and there's a couple of good ones in there. Who's the cover? Is that a cover by Dan Mora and Tamara Bonville?
1: He did the the Klaus books, and
0: yep, it's I a did. great cover, yeah. and. Those three stories really, like, the next day I was thinking about all three of them. Tell you something, Red Tornado, with a bunch of camping shit strapped to his back, is pretty great.
1: That was a good one, too. Red Tornado in summer camp with his family, Stephanie Phillips and Layla DeLuca, Jordy Belair. Mm -hmm. His family's going camping, and they keep trying to get him to pay attention, but the Justice League keeps signaling him, and there's crises. It's, you know, the Santa Superhero story, but it was fun. Yeah. It was a fun issue. These anthologies aren't always 100% great, but... I can't rem- remember the last time. I was like, wow, that was really a really good short story. And there was three of them. I love that. Yeah, but you oh, should definitely good. read that Max Bemis, Greg Smallwood one. Will do. If Only for the art. it's Max Bemis is really good, too. He needs to do some more stuff. This was a good one. This was one of the better ones. Awesome. Yeah, I really liked it. I and mean, there were other really good books. I really liked Amazing Spider-Man 45 and Nick Spencer... With the first appearance by Mark Bagley in this run with Spencer, I believe. yeah, I was I was like, oh okay, we're doing this,
0: all right. But it wasn't wasn't
1: bad. It was a pretty good, Bagley. It was good, Bagley. Say what you will, it feels comfortable.
0: Mm-hmm. I also want to mention the cover, yeah, which I really liked a lot. So, the, I mean, the only bit about this was that there was the the Sin eater special issue before, which mm. I wasn't. I kept going, is that this a regular Amazing Spider Man issue? And it may, and almost way of well have been, yep. but I think it actually took place. before after this one i don't know because I, I, it, it, it came up from out of nowhere because you had spider-man in the back of um overdrive's car and i was like where the hell did this come from and i just sort of went with it and then in this one we saw why he showed up and i was like that's a weird choice publishing wise you know I got, I got through it i'm fine like i thought it was pretty good but i i was really looking forward to this a lot of times and the one part about this run that i don't love is the whatever the the menacing yeah that's the least interesting part about this whole thing, which you know that bug creature's been there the whole time in the background. I know, and and I, I like the more I learn, the less interested I am. Sure. So but it's kinda of also getting it's getting a little serious and less fun, and mm-hmm. I don't like I don't like that as much. Well so first of
1: all, I remember reading those Eater comics in the eighties. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I didn't, so that also made a
1: difference. Who killed Gene DeWolf? Black suited Spider-Man. It was fun to see the you know, the flashbacks to black suited Spider-Man. It had some impact on me. The thing is, like, I don't remember as a kid being that blown away by Sin Eater, but I remember reading reading the mm-hmm. stories. You know, Gene DeWolf was a major character in the book for Spider-Man, so her being killed was a big deal at the time. I don't know. Like, I like this, but it felt like kind of a weird overview. Like, it felt like we weren't almost in the story yet. It's almost like, because the first half of the, not half, but the first part of the book is, like, almost setting up. The status quo again, like Peter's, you know, moping around because MJ hasn't come back from L.A., and so we, there's a lot of pages of him sort of recapping where he's been emotionally. I wish I get mm-hmm. if they're trying to make this like a jumping-on point, but for me it felt like I, it didn't really get into the story until we got to page, like, 12. And that's a lot of real estate in a 20-page comic.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Also, like, I don't think you can get tickets to Shakespeare in the Park. I think you just
0: go. <laughs> you know what's funny is that I just read... Because I was, I've been reading the the Robert Moses book, the or the book about Robert, the power broker by Robert Caro, and they it was this long portion about Shakespeare in the Park and why it was like really successful and then got fucked up completely, and then this showed up immediately. Oh,
1: I it, it's still. I mean, when I lived in New York, it... well, he almost killed it out of pride. Oh, sure, he actually liked it. <laughs> it's just free, and I think you just go and it's like first come first serve if you can get in. I don't think I, think. You, I don't think you can order tickets for it. Yeah, I don't. And I, mean, know I right grew right up either. there. I don't. I grew up like. Four blocks from the theater. I don't. Did you do it? Yeah, I never did yeah, yeah. it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw the Seagull with Kevin Klein and Meryl Streep and
0: Natalie Portman. Were you old enough to appreciate? Yeah, that? I was out of
1: college. I was in my twenties.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's really awesome.
1: I mean, I liked it. I just this issue. Not the Seagull was also yeah. good, but I like the. <laughs> I like this issue. It just felt like we were in a lot of setup mode, and also like you, I don't really
0: care about the bug creature. I, hopefully, that it ends up being interesting. It's a little bit of an also ran. It reminds me, or Scourge. yeah, Like Scourge is the other one that's just like that. And then they were tying, I just felt like it was referencing a lot of things that I don't know. Mm-hmm. So there was the girlfriend who was in the earlier Carly one. Carly Cooper, yeah. Carly Cooper. And then like her dad was a shit, but then there's this other guy who was the Sin Eater, and then he was a shit. And I was like, wait, who is it? And I like that Overdrive character. Mm-hmm. And then, spoiler, and three, two, they killed him. Presumably, I get maybe not. Was there a thing at the end? You know, yeah, he came back alive at the end. Okay, that's fine. On the morgue table. I like that character, and, and Nick Spencer created him over in the Superior Foes of Spider Man. I think so more. of That guy would be good. I well, just, he's back what? alive. Yeah, he popped up. His wound disappeared, and he popped up alive. Yeah. What <laughs> happened
1: to me? I enjoyed reading it. I liked the. the I thought it was good, Bagley. I'm hoping the story now
0: ramps up. That's mm-hmm. all. Yeah, I think so. Peter was mopey. It was setting up. It wasn't bad, but I didn't have fun with it like I did the other ones.
1: Wonder Woman 759 is the first issue of the new creative team, so I gave it a shot. Uh, Mariko mm-hmm. Tamaki, Michael Janin, formerly of Batman, and Jordy Beller in colors, great colors. Again, I liked it, but it was like the first, and I totally get it, this is like a big new issue. They're hoping Mariko Tamaki's fans come on, Michael Janin's fans come on. So the first quarter was sort of set up. You know, Mm -hmm. who is Wonder Woman? Who does she fight? What does she do? And so I was like, okay, well, I I know all this, so let's get going. (laughs) It was fun. She moves into a new apartment. She's got a precocious young neighbor who has a bunny pet, and they go to the store to buy furniture because Wonder Woman has no furniture, and she prevents a grisly death when a woman is possessed in in her SUV full of kids to drive a car into a truck. She saves the day, and we find out that someone is possessing people, and... Turns out it's Max Lord. Now, let me say this. This is clearly the movie influence. Maxwell Lord has never been called Max Lord, to my knowledge, in the comic books. He's been called Maxwell or Maxi by Booster mm-hmm. Gold or Blue Beetle. No one's ever called him Max Lord. Now, I assume the movie people thought Maxwell was too dumb and are calling that character who is in the next one where movie should it ever come out, Max Lord. Mm. And so now in the comics, suddenly he is Max Lord.
0: And I, mm. I was like, oh, fuck that. I don't know if it's the case of the Joker thing, but you know I feel like Maxwell Lord is, you know, the thing. He is Wonder Woman's Joker. Yeah. Like if you take away uh,
1: the Greek god characters, mm-hmm. of the non-god characters, you know, there's Cheetah, who was sort of like her perennial, yeah. you know, opposite, Memesis. who was also in the film, and then Maxwell Lord, they built up ever since she killed him, way back right. in whatever story that was. It just bugged me that they call him Max Lord, and I get it. No one cares but me. But I, you know, no. I read Maxwell Lord for the first time in 1980, you know, or whatever that was, when I read the first Justice League book with Keith Giffen, you know, when he was first introduced. That was so he's been around my (laughs) 35 years for me. Mm -hmm. So when they start suddenly start calling him Max, I'm like, oh fuck all of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it looked really good. The the Michael Janin art was good, and the story was intriguing. I, I liked it again, but dot dot dot.
0: Mariko Tamaki did, first thing I recognized was Skim from 2008. Mm -hmm. Did some Tomb Raider books, did X23, did Supergirl. So there's, and did some She Hulk for a bit. She Hulk's always good.
1: Boy, you read a lot of books I didn't read. (laughs) X Factor number one Leah Williams writing David Baldion on art. I like X
0: Factor. Always liked X Factor. Wait, X Factor one? Yeah. What the hell? I don't know. Did they not have an X Factor in the Hickman relaunch of everything? No, this is the X
1: Factor relaunch. No shit. I picked this up because of the concept, which is, you know, the whole idea of the X Men, and we're going to get to that more in depth in the next book discussion, is that they're on Krakoa. There's all these backups of the X Men. So if you die, they can reboot you from that backup. And so this idea is who's investigating the murders and the disappearances? That's X-Factor. So X-Factor's whole thing is before the group of five who does a resurrection will resurrect somebody, they need to A, confirm the person's dead, and B, they want to know how it happened. And so X-Factor is like, we'll figure that out. Because the issue starts off with Aurora going missing and believed to be dead. And so her brother, North Star gathers up a ragtag team to go investigate her disappearance. And they find her dead. And she's going to get resurrected. So at the end of it, they're like, well, that's going to be our job. We're going to go out and because they're resurrecting mutants all the time. So there's tons of mutants and some of them go missing. Some of them die. So someone has to be in charge of investigating those disappearances and those murders. So that's what they're going to do. Now, I love the concept. The art was okay. It wasn't great. I just don't love this particular grouping. It's not your traditional X-Factor other than Polaris is on the team. North Star is the leader of it. He's kind of a dick. The problem is there's a whole bunch of new mutants that I just don't know who they are and what they can do. And they don't really do a good job of explaining it in this issue until like three quarters of the way through. So like three quarters of the story, I'm reading these characters. I don't know their names. I don't know what their powers are. And it isn't until later on when they sort of officially form a team where they sort of get in depth on their abilities. And so that was kind of a bummer. But I liked it.
0: It was fun. Leah Williams wrote that Mary Jane series where she went to Hollywood that
1: yep. kind of liked. Mm-hmm. Did you keep reading that? Yeah, I read it. I don't know if it's over or not, but I've read it right.
0: who knows, I, but I, I enjoyed this
1: issue I didn't lo- again dot dot dot. I didn't love the lineup. I didn't love the art But I did uh, I did enjoy the story
0: now. I find it interesting that you uh, I bailed on X-Men as I knew I would <laughs> And I, I haven't heard otherwise. So you so you're still go. Are you still reading? Uh, like the, obviously the main title X-Men I read X-Men and Marauders. That's it. Okay, and now X-Factor and there's 17 others. There's a lot of others. Okay
1: X-Men number 10, this is the Empire crossover. Hickman and Lanilla Francis Yu. So we've been talking about two things on this show about the X-Men. Number one, they're assholes, Mm -hmm. and they're near villains in in the Marvel Universe. And number two, they like to fuck. Well, yeah. This issue is all about the second part. huh? And again, this could have been my pick of the week, except it's mainly about three characters, and I don't know who the hell two of them are. Mm -hmm. Vulcan, who is, I guess, he's the third Summer's brother wakes up, and no one's home at the Summer's house on the moon. Again, we know from Reading Empire, the moon is where the formerly French hippie army is based, so that's where they're gonna cross over. Mm -hmm. There's no one in the Summer house but these two women who I don't know. They identify them in the beginning in the little rundown of who the characters are, but I don't know who they are. And they're getting drunk on. They're gonna make margaritas and get drunk, and they are basically wanna bang Vulcan. And... The whole issue is about whether or not they're going to bang. Mm -hmm. And who they're going to invite to their party, their banging party.
0: So there's very loose social codes on Krakoa. Yeah.
1: So at one point, you know, the girls are drinking margaritas and and Vulcan's got one, but he's not really enthusiastic. And they say, are we drinking or are we drinking? Because frankly, I wouldn't mind turning these up to 10. I say 11 because there's a lot of very hot, medium-powered mutants on the island that would love to get down to the summer house. The summer house is a fuckhouse. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, they're basically just saying it. Either way, are we partying or are we partying? <laughs> it's like, wow. wow. So That was the cold open, by the way.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I was going for it. And
1: then in the, the main story is they, you know, Logan goes out for a walk to get away from the, <laughs> the, the girls who really want to bang and runs into the, uh, whatever the fuck they are called. The chitari, not chitari. Kotaki. Is that that? Kotati? Kotati. He runs into them and they have a big fight of the moon. Art was really the art was good and the story was fun. I just wish I knew anything about these two girls who really want to bang Vulcan. We've been saying that Krakoa and set was like a big you know, spring break party, but this particular house, the summer house, where in mm-hmm. which the the of Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Wolverine with their connecting rooms live, it seems to be the sex house. Uh huh. And that's where people go.
0: Let me ask you this as we back up a little bit yeah. because I've walked away. First of all, do you have any idea how long this is supposed to go? Which just like Hickman's thing you know, like- or Empire. The Hickman arc. Oh, I don't know. Okay, that's fine. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't mm-hmm. some, something you knew. No, no. Are you seeing any sort of clues about sort of... I, I mean, I assume he's got one story in mind that has an overall arc. Do you think you have an oh, idea where it's going? No. And I think it's relatively
1: early and I said that very slowly because I have no concept of time anymore. hmm
0: Well, issue 10. Yeah, and this book's monthly, so it's been about a year. Like, I feel... And this is just from reading those characters in other books where yep. they show up, is, is I really feel like their hubris is starting to be a problem. I just don't know. Like, what I'm wondering, like, is the story going to be that they're going to have a comeuppance? Well, I think it has to
1: be. There's, there's got to be a schism. We've already seen that in other issues of other comics. I've, I've been reading the one shots. The Magneto one a few weeks ago featured like Magneto building a separate dwelling in in another part of the world for Emma. Like, they're already starting to splinter a little bit. Black King's been doing his own machinations. He's the one that killed Kitty Pride. The moment in the beginning, kumbaya moment, we have Krakow, we're all going to live on, in, in peace and, and orgies together, mm-hmm. has sort of fallen apart a little bit already. I don't know where he's going with it, but clearly we're 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 sort of in the
0: second act of things starting to split. Well, it's, it's interesting, if because if that, that seems like the most obvious thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, good storyteller is probably not going to do the most obvious right. thing, but you never know. And it starts, you know... With, you know, we're the future Charles not, we're the future not them. Right. Basically, which is the whole thing, and and they kind of s- swing their big dicks around, and this is how it is, and everybody goes, okay. <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily make them look good, it makes them look like ballers, don't get me wrong. Sure. Literally and figuratively. Right, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. And then, it's like, so then the next step would be, like, they're falling apart, and how do they fix it? but then they can't become pariahs so it must be that like we've got to we got to do this but we have to do this in a better way I, that's the only thing i could think of well otherwise... we'll
1: see who knows i mean we everyone is rehabilitatable you know yeah. we, we rehabilitated tony stark and reed richards after a civil war so mm-hmm. anything's possible i i am enjoying it for the most part i mean i'm not reading all the books but i am really liking this particular bizarre and it's bizarre take on the x men
0: yeah I'd, I'd say that's the strength of it so yeah. far but eventually that it has to go somewhere, and I think it will. Yeah,
1: Hickman does long form storytelling. He tells these epic tales that it not always work, but he, he has a story in mind. He doesn't just tell things. He's an intricate structure guy. So if if it sure eventually it'll go somewhere. Whether whether or not that's good or not, we'll find but out. But
0: he, he I mean, I have no doubt that he knows exactly where it's going to go. You know? Oh yeah, he has a chart, and it's in circles literally same sentence was about to come out of my mouth
1: we're gonna take a quick break in a second but i'm really interested to know which of the next three books we're talking about or four books is your pick of the week so i'm excited it's a very exciting thing but in the meantime let's have a quick word from our sponsor Year was 1916. Roderick Burgess conceived a plan. He would capture death. Capture
0: you are death. It's him. He's back. The Sandman's a fairy story. He's back, John. Dream of the endless. Greetings to you, Lucifer Morningstar. Hello, Dream. I have shown him fear oh. in a handful of dust. <sighs> the Sandman. Only from Audible in association with DC. Just close your eyes and listen.
1: Listen to the new Audible original, The Sandman, based on the best-selling DC graphic novels written by Neil Gaiman, adapted and directed by Dirk Maggs, hailed by the Los Angeles Times Magazine as the greatest epic in the history of comic books. This audio adaptation is decades in the making. Starring James McAvoy in the title role, follow the Morpheus the Dream Lord as he's pulled from the dream realm and imprisoned on Earth. When he finally escapes, he must restore his power to rebuild his domain. And that's just the start. Featuring a powerhouse ensemble cast including Riz Ahmed, Kat Dennings, Michael Sheen, and more, in your wildest dreams you've never heard anything like this. Listen now, only on Audible dot com slash Sandman.
0: You think in in all the audio stuff that's going to be coming out like in six months that everybody TV? had to record at home will just sound terrible?
1: Not Neil Gaiman. <laughs> he never no. sounds terrible.
0: No, he he could talk into like a I, iPhone one mic. You'd be like that. Oh, I feel good. That's soothing. Just feels That's nice. very relaxed.
1: So we had a second issue of that Texas Blood come out, and I liked it more. Than the first. Yeah,
0: I did too. It took me a little, just a little bit, to be like, "What the hell are these people? What's going on here?" But I, you know, if I had any quibble with it, mm-hmm. I think that it's. I think it's very good. I said that before. I still mm-hmm. do. There's bits of it where like they're doing it's in the dialogue. There's very naturalistic dialogue. They take a lot of us and pauses. And I have done this when I have tried to write things before and I'm just noticing it a little much. Like I get it. And it works with speech, but in comic book form, it tends to stand out a little bit. And sometimes you have to sacrifice that realisticness. This is Bendis is doing. Yes, it is. No, it's Bendis is doing when
1: I did it. Chris Condon. I'm not successful. He's He's better than me. And he talked in his first issue about how he's from New Jersey Mm -hmm. I want to say first, the Jacob Phillips art I thought was better than the first issue. Yeah. Um, so in this issue, it's not exactly a continuation, although it kind of is. It, it a continuation of the first issue in which, in mm-hmm. the first, end of the first issue, there was a guy who was murdered. In this issue, his brother flies back to the small town where he's from, leaving his girlfriend behind. And he's a pariah in town for what, because of him and his brother. So he tries to get some food at the, at the diner and they won't serve him and... He ends up meeting up with the sheriff on the first issue and they go back to the station to talk about his brother's murder. Very sort of simple story, but I thought the art was good. The dialogue reads a little heavy-handed.
0: I mean, it, it reads like you would want an actor to perform it. Right. You know, like note by note, like Aaron Sorkin, Mamet-ish, you know, like you have to do everything the way I have put it rhythmically in the meter and it's good. Don't get me, like when I read it, it sounds like people are talking, but I don't know if that's necessarily great for something that you're reading. reading. Yeah, is that Does that make sense? No, and it's and for, I, I, for sure. I really like this story. I'm 100% in. I want to know desperately what's going on in this town, and they stopped the issue before I got to know. <laughs> and, you know, the, the scene in the diner was sort of unexpected and really interesting, you know, and the the scene in the hotel before that led into it. I love the sheriff character a whole lot. I want to I walk around him all day and watch him build model airplanes in the middle of the night. I want all of that. Yeah. It's really good. And so I'm, I'm glad this is a thing and I'm glad I know. Like it was the last week. The- oh, wait, this. Oh, get that. Yeah, that's really good. Yes, good. Was this your pick of the week? No. Interesting.
1: Batman, Superman, number 10, Josh Williamson, Clayton Henry. Are you reading this? Yes. I was like,
0: is Ryan Otley drawing this? It does look a lot like Otley. You're right. It's was. It, I, I it was really. I. I once I realized that a the man who laughs stuff was over. I was like, oh, we're just gonna get a Batman Superman issue, right? And I was. I'm down with it. I. You know. I like. And it's. You know. Whatever else is going on right now, I'm just watching Batman and Superman. I think Josh Williamson has a real. You know, Silver Age underlying thing going on. Mm-hmm. And I really like the art on this. I just. It looks so different than everything else I was reading, other than Brian Otley.
1: Well, Clayton Henry is really good. He's always been really yeah. good.
0: I don't know him from anything or at least I don't remember. He gives Superman a 16 head, but other than that, <laughs> it's okay. That's just that seems to be just the style. Yeah. But yeah, I really I really dug this. I had fun with it and, you know, Ultra Ultrahumanite. I mean, there were zombies?
1: Sure. Did I note the zombies? Yes. Did I, I was like, "Well, okay. Eh. We are noted DC zombie lovers."
0: Really? It's sort of is but it's more like just reanimated flesh for technical purpose, which isn't exactly I mean, they're zombies, but it's a different kind. I like the Ultra Humanite an awful lot. I it just it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's just Silver Age goodness. Yeah. I had fun with it. It just wasn't what I was expecting in a good way. Was this your pick of the week? Uh, No. Oh, okay.
1: Batman, The Adventures Continue, number nine. This is the digital first book we haven't talked about in a while, written by Alan Burnett and Paul Dini with art by Ty Templeton. This is the issue that I've been waiting for. I assume others as, as well, as Jason Todd has been dogging Batman and the family this whole time in the background, and now finally events start to come together and it should be noted Jason Todd was never in the continuity of the cartoons. So they're having to sort of shoehorn him into the time between Dick Grayson and Tim Drake, which was between versions of the show. And you can make it work in your head if you want to. I don't necessarily want to, but you can. And what's notable about it is it's not pre-crisis origin Jason. It's not post-crisis origin Jason. It's a whole new Jason Todd origin in which his brother was a member of a gang. He was the the newest member. They made him the newest member wear a red hood. And he was the lookout, he ended up dying on a job. Jason goes and beats up the gang. Batman comes across that, sees this kid spunk, mm-hmm. and decides to bring him in to the fold and join the team. And so we, we get a little bit of that here. It's just notable that we've, if you're a Batman, the animated series fan, this is how they're shoehorning in the Jason Todd with light brown hair. So somehow, at some point, his hair gets darker.
0: Jason Todd with the light brown hair.
1: It was fine. I've been waiting for this issue. The other issues have been okay up to this point, but I'm just waiting to see how they're trying to make this work.
0: Yeah, I wasn't sure if you were still reading any of this. So.
1: It's something where I always forget because it doesn't come out yeah. like till like Thursday. Mm-hmm. I if I don't, if I happen to look at the app, I go, "Oh, right, that's out."
0: Yeah, I think I didn't read it yesterday because it came out today. I'm just yeah. flipping through it now, so that would be hard to keep on the show for that reason. But they're fun. They're short. You know, yeah, they're 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 bite
1: sized. It's not bad. It's half an yeah. issue length. Those are the books we wanted to talk about, but if you go to patreon.com slash ifanboy, you can vote and add a book to the rundown. And this week it was a blowout as Hedra, the one-shot just called Hedra, by Jesse Lonergan, is out from Image Comics. It's technically an image number one, although it's not number one, but it technically is. This was very interesting, and I liked it very Five much. stars! I See, this is another, I liked it but, dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot. Like, I was really into about three quarters of the way through, and then I sort of lost... I got a little muddled in the storytelling because it's entirely silent. It reminded me a lot of Profit in that way that they would they would occasionally tell stories that way with the with the like the infographics and things. But at a certain point, I sort of lost the thread of what was happening. But I really liked mm-hmm. it. I thought the art was incredible. And I thought the storytelling
0: was really strong. I liked the yeah, imagination I mean, of it. I liked it a lot. I had no idea what it was going to be. I saw it was fifty six pages, and like when I got started. I was like, all right, this is an and this is an intro, and then after a little bit, I thought, oh, it's just going to be like this, right? And then I kind of got into it because they kind of got into it. Like it was just, I'm try- There's something very specifically that this reminded me of. It's almost, it's almost like a little bit of Jimmy Corrigan in here. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of, you know? And and you're watching as they get into space and the orbital dynamics, and then the sort of playing with the panels and moving around. It just it felt very. Um, you know f- fresh or, or it felt just very in contrast to all of the other things that I've been reading but at the same time it was the kind of thing I like you know it's space travel it's you know we got to save the earth and, and you know but it's a little the, you know the, car- the ship is, is cartoony the, you know the Starman sort of um, spaceship fashion. yeah you know space bubble helmet you know but like a, a very distinctive visual style going on, very Mm -hmm. graphic, very geometric all at the same time, but not sort of hanging on one thing or another. But every page has some thought to it. Every page has a specific kind of motion that is communicated by the design and by the shapes. So you kind of, when you turn the page, you kind of know what it's going to be about instantly, you know, and then you can follow it in intricacy or you can back up and sort of say, see the one movement. And I know what you're saying with the part where she goes to the other planet and they transform her. And then I also like realized at one point like her. Yeah. But like her, the little shape above her that shows up. I think that I don't remember the the Latin for it, but that's the Hedra shape. I think whatever, that's where that word comes from. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure exactly how it, a hedron maybe, you know, and then she goes and she's, you know, it's Wally. She goes and saves the earth sort of, you know, and it's just silly. And I, I, I don't know. I'm assuming this person isn't European, but it's definitely got a European feel to it. And and because it was so simple, and I don't, I want to keep saying it was different, but like, I've read comics like this before, but they're not often very, oh, you know what the book I'm thinking of is, what? and I don't, oh God, it was from Oni Press, mm-hmm. and I remember the guy's face, but I can't remember his name, and it was all about a birth, and he, I don't remember the name of it, I'm sorry, and it was done in like 16 panel grids, the whole thing. I actually literally just pulled the uh, comp off my shelf last week and then threw it away but it's gone now because I took the trash out. So that's not good. One life, one... Oh, the guy wrote DC Comics for a little while. Anyway, I'll think of it or I'll put it... We'll, we'll, we'll get to it later. Maybe somebody can can tell me, but it, it it sort of reminded me of that. That didn't have any dialogue and it was a lot of little tiny panels. You know, I like the color palette, you know, and... and it was a beautiful book. It's a, it was a gorgeous book and it just showed thoughtfulness and it showed style and it, it wasn't entirely clear, but I got the point. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, so I, I get what they're getting at. And, and it was fun to read, and it was mysterious, and uh, it was almost like watching an old silent movie.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a, an injection of creativity and unusualness into the week. Uh, again, I just, like, I was following it very well up until the the point where she gets sort of turned into a half robot or whatever the hell that happened to her. It's, it's a silent book, and the Earth has blown itself up with bombs, and there's an astronaut who looks like every girl that every indie comic person is in love with <laughs> goes into space to, to save the Earth, and she stumbles upon the sky in a... Suit who's flying around in space outside of her ship, and then there's sort of a Glover's Travels middle section where they land on a planet and it turns out the people are tiny. And and then at some point, he takes her back to his planet, and that's when it got a little wonky for me. But I didn't, yeah, and that's 40 pages into 56. So it's, not, it's not like it's, it's almost the very end of it. it. It lost me a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit. Yeah, I, I, mean, wasn't I,
0: exactly I sure think the funny. idea was she meets this other, you know, sort of like group of people, and they have some technology. And they pass it on, and that's how the Earth gets saved. Now, is the Earth changed? Is it different? Are there people, you know, like, that's all sort of the cost of the thing, but it's sort of like the next step, you know. Or that's, you know, you can make it however you want. Mm -hmm. It was very good, though. Yeah, it was really good, and and I, I just loved that. You know that whenever I see it's a new image number 1 and somebody's gonna, I'm, I'm I wait for some slight Well, it's not a number
1: 1, it's just a one shot. Uh,
0: you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know that. You know, it just I just saw it was a new thing and 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 it was oversized and I thought, okay, it is, it's it's going to be some old trope that they've gone ahead and dropped a monkey into or whatever. <laughs> and it just I I had no idea what was coming. And I thought that's really exciting when you when you you know find a thing that you just had no clue about and you just get into it and you're like oh I like this for us in comics that doesn't happen enough. <laughs> I think you should start a publishing company
1: in which you take old tropes and drop monkeys into it. I'd make a fucking fortune. <laughs> I think you should do that. Yeah. Monkey westerns. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to read a monkey western? <laughs>
0: You got to tell me that does that exist? That must be a thing. I know I've read comics. Uh, Simon Spurrier did uh, Six Gun Ape or Six for Boom. Patron yeah. pick is Hedra by
1: Jesse Lonergan. Let's do the ratings on this book. Ratings out of five. I'm going to give it four and a quarter. I gave it five. There you go. Hedra. Terrific. Hedra. Check it
0: out. Check it out. Really check it out. If you're, I, I,
1: it, it's really, f- at least leaf through it and see if it's your kind of thing. It's really good.
0: Yeah, I'm not, I mean, like, I know there's not a next issue, but I'm going to watch for, for Jesse Lonergan's name mm-hmm. going forward for sure.
1: True. That's patreon.com
0: slash where any patron can vote to add a book to the rundown. But if you give it the
1: $5 or higher level, you get your own superpower live on the show. Like Super Gavin mm-hmm. and Super Gavin, he can emit any kind of light, any spectrum of light at any intensity or luminosity from his hands. This is probably a power we've given up before. It sounds familiar. He can omit any kind of light. He can make spotlights. He can make like fill lights if he's on camera, constantly on Zoom calls. He, he can do <laughs> any kind of light if he needs to, you know, UV light for something. He could use that. It has to be from his hands or yes. it can it come from any direction. No, it's from his hands.
0: Okay. They're the, lights. You guys don't understand how good lights have gotten since we stopped doing the video show. Yeah. When we used to do the couch video show. Mm hmm. I'm not telling you, you know, we bought like a, I want to say a $1,300 lighting kit, <laughs> mm-hmm. like high, high, not high end, but like professional grade yeah. ENG kit. It had like, a, uh, you know, a fill, a key, a backlight. It had a, um, like an umbrella light for yeah. the diffuse light. Bought an soft extra boxes. couple of those. Yep. The yeah. soft boxes. And they got hot as fuck. <laughs> You don't have to tell me. I almost started a fire with the with the one we have left. They're like the high end halogen bulbs at the time, and then it's just as the case in our life. So many we are late or we are early with everything. So you know, like now everything is LED. It's much cheaper. It's much lighter. It does the same thing, but it doesn't make the room feel like hell itself. (laughs) And so I have this like thirty thousand pound case downstairs with all these pro-grade lights circa 2006, which are worthless. Mm-hmm. But I can't get rid of them because we paid $1,300 for them.
1: <laughs> I have the one extra softbox here, and I was using that for yeah. a while for our that too. hangouts. And then one day I was setting it up, and I didn't realize the power switch was on, mm-hmm. and I hadn't fully opened it. I plugged it in so that I'd be ready to go when I opened it, and it was on, so the, the heat from the bulb started catching the... Canvas on fire.
0: It was, it was a
1: little fire before the hangout. Anyway, this is called Josh doesn't have power and is and is procrastinating.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, what are you going to do with them? You going to give them the goodwill? Sure. (laughs) Here you go, kids. Try not to burn the house down. Why are these so heavy? Like, you could not touch the metal part. No, it's too hot. It would, it 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 would kill you. And then you know, like, we started doing this podcast really early, which was good. And then we went and we did our, we did our show before there were YouTubers. We had stopped, and then people were like, "Hey, you know, it might be a good idea if we watch regular long-form shows on the internet." And we're come on, <laughs> or or there's or there's college where we, <laughs> the literal last class of video people to ever use three-quarter inch tapes. Jesus Christ! Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I apologize. So next up, David Botazzi, mm-hmm. or if I like, if you want to put the T in there, the Botazzi, depending on how you want to go. And I, you know I did a hand gesture when I said that, Of course. Right? He can adjust any film or television program that you are watching by the, the date. What does that so mean? So if your movie is set in 1955, Whoa. he can move it forward or backwards and it will become a different kind of period piece. But it's the same actors, same, same story, same script. Same, same characters, same actors, but everything is adjusted for the time in which it was in. Clothing, sets, all that stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I can go anywhere. So you can watch Gangs of New York 2008. So the script would have to change because the story wouldn't be the same for Gangs of New York. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the story is the same. So the script's not the same. The essential story is the
1: same, but the details wouldn't change.
0: Yeah, uh, it's the fine details are adjusted for the time period in which the movie takes place. I see, I see. And you can do that with any film or television show. What were you just watching? Don't know. It started (laughs) off when you said add monkeys to things. And I was like, that's too simple. (laughs) You you just had to have mad monkeys I was my first, and then as we talked for a while, it changed into that. Patreon.com/slash/Ifanboy.
1: That's how it works. And that's how you get like your. Like, take superpower. Full
0: Metal Jacket and move it into like 1776. Okay, that's a great movie. It could be. Maybe. Yeah. It's not permanent. You're like that doesn't change. It just means the one you're watching. You yeah. want to go see movies over at over at David's house. <laughs> They're <laughs> creepy. Yeah. Also, killer sound system, David. Way to go. If you, like, if you like what just happened, uh, if you want to be part of it, the reason that happened for those folks was because they came to patreon.com slash ifanboy, and they donated at uh, over $5 a month at that level, and they got on the list, which is not nearly as long as it used to be. So if you're thinking, oh, I want mine, but I don't want to wait that long, it's probably a pretty good time to get mm-hmm. on there. We also have a new stretch goal. If we uh, hit the next stretch goal, we will be introducing the G.I. Joe Corner show into our suite of podcasts, which um, my wife is like, you're fucking doing a show all the time. I know. And I want them to donate more, but I also don't. What is that going to be? How often will it come out? Hopefully we'll never have to know. But also, you know, it'd be cool if we did. We did the G.I. Joe Corners during the early quarantine shows uh, to fill time. uh, and and It would come out once a fortnight. I'm... That might be too off. I don't know what a um, fortnight is. It's really is it two weeks? Yes, yeah, two weeks. Yeah. I do know. It what seems it is. like the kind of thing you'd know. I did know. I just yeah, I, that makes that makes more sense. Yeah. So go over to patreon.com slash i if, if you would like, if you if you're able to and want to support the show, that's that's where to do it. There are many different ways you can do that there. And many other places. You can go to the, the shirt and sundries store over at ifanboy.threadless.com. There are eight designs currently available. I am seeing a lot of folks. Post pictures of those masks out there. Yep. And that's really cool. I like that. There's t-shirts. There's other things. There's... We, there, someone did get a bath mat at least once. Mm. I, I'm pretty sure I couldn't get away with it. <laughs> but um, I thought about it. It's my bath mat. Yeah. You can also, if you don't want to deal with any of that rigmarole, get over to iframeboard.com slash support. You'll find a direct link for PayPal you know, you might still have a PayPal account. I use PayPal all the time. I love it. That's not an endorsement. It's just, it's just a thing because I don't have to get up and get my credit card. You could just uh, drop something in the tip jar. You could say, you know what? I like you this much. And it's like eight bucks. Really? All right. I mean, we thank that you. That sounds for it. right
1: though. Yeah. No, that,
0: I think, I think if, you know, like in, uh, in the Avengers, you know, like, I love you 3000. Like, I love you eight. Yeah. And, yeah. Actually, that does sound good. Uh, finally get over to ifanboard.com slash Amazon links to buy books for books. Bloat are there to get to Amazon. There's a general link to go over there.
1: I think we should do a show that comes out based on the cycles of the moon, the lunar cycles.
0: Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. A lycanthropic kind of thing. Yeah. Just, you know, only comes out when there's a full moon. It's fine. Will we talk about astrology? Maybe. Okay. Let's do
1: a quick email. This is an email from Stu W who's been waiting a long time to get his email answered. So we f-
0: thought we'd do it. I understand that he doesn't need to advertise.
1: Stu W says, hello, new patron here. But I have Thank a you. question I've been thinking of since the original Two Jamokes era. It's sort of for the Josh art corner in that it deals with visuals or the absence thereof. Superheroes as a genre have long been the biggest chunk of the comics market, and now superheroes dominate cinema blockbusters, and there are so many superhero TV shows I've lost track but superheroes and prose text never really took off. They don't show up on bestseller lists the same way they show up in other media. Ten years ago or so, there seemed to be an attempt in publishing led by Austin Grossman's very good Soon I Will Be Invincible. They relaunched George R.R. Martin's Wild Cards and more examples that would make the believe even longer, but none of them took to the top sales charts. They still publish some series, but none that are cultural phenomenons. As an aside, with Martin so hot and superheroes dominant, why hasn't there been a Wild Cards adaptation? Have you ever read superhero prose? Why do you think art and visuals is so important to the genre? I also don't think superheroes are a genre, but that's just me. Yeah. They're a character type.
0: Yeah. That well, that, that could kind of go... Yeah, it's, that's just me. It's I'm not going to die on the hill. I think it could go either way, but I, I think, however you phrase it, the question yeah. the question has merit. I, you know, it might be... I don't know. It might be habit. For me, me personally... I actually am not into so much of the other superhero stuff because I get so much of it in comics, and I get so much of it in comics because that's where all the big talent ends up working on superheroes. And so when I go to watch a different thing, I kind of don't want more superheroes. Now, I am—I don't believe I'm typical of, of a lot of comic books slash superhero readers. Oh, God, no. No, I, uh, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> you are atypical. Yeah, no, I, I recognize that. But, you know, do, why does it need to have visuals that go along with it? I don't I know.
1: I think it does. I think that's part of the answer is superheroes are a spectacle and I've read many superhero novels and liked them but I think for most people there's a certain spectacle of what you're seeing and you you need to see it in some way either on the page or on the screen and it's just hard you know novels do a lot of things well and a lot of things better than anything other medium but visual spectacle they can't do at all and it's all about your imagination and you know maybe for some people and it doesn't you know that doesn't Necessarily makes sense, like fantasy is big in fiction, but and it's also spectacle. But I don't know. I just talk myself out of that whole argument. I, I mean, a book's a good story. Is a good story. Is a good story. Soon, I will be invincible. was terrific. And that was more than ten years ago. That well, was like fifteen years ago.
0: Didn't Cavalier and Clay win a? Yeah, but that person? wasn't about
1: superheroes. That was about cur- the creation
0: of superheroes. I know, but you it know, about, it was about cur- artists. I mean, fair enough. You know, can I can I tell you a deep a deep dark secret? Yeah, oh, I must have been ten years ago now, maybe a little less. A young Tom King, who I knew before, he like any of you readers probably knew who he was. We'd, we'd met him, and he wrote this book, uh, Once, Once. Around its Sky. Yep. And I said, "Hey, Tom, get your publisher to send me a copy of that." And he said, "Sure thing." And it is still sitting over there, and I have not read it. I read it. It
1: took me two tries to get into it. The first, I wasn't. Sure. Mm-hmm. It took the first time I read like the first fifty pages, and I was like, ah. And I did put it down. I came back to it and eventually read it and enjoyed it. And I've read a bunch of – I've read Once Crad Sky. i read I Will Soon I'll Be Invincible. There's been tons of like – well, there was a book called It's Superman, which was actually really great. It, it put Superman in like historical time in which he was created. So it was like 1930s Superman. I've read the Kingdom Come prose adaptation, the Crisis of Infinite Earths adaptation, the Batman No Man's Land adaptation. You've read a lot
0: more than I have.
1: This isn't superheroes, but we read the Greg Rucka Queen of Country books. That's not superheroes, but it's comics. Death Superman adaptation. Like there's been a bunch of for a while. DC was like turning all their big events into novels, and I always I read them all. Mm-hmm. But I, but I have the context in my head for what's going on. So that's I don't know. I don't know why.
0: I, I mean I can't say like I don't know if it's just me, but like when I read a novel, I tend to read certain kinds of things. I I tend to read. I read a lot of nonfiction. In my novels, I read history stuff. I read I don't, different kind of things than I could get in comics, basically. So, so I, I, I wouldn't think to go for it. Yeah. a heck of a lot. I'm, I'm looking now. It's sort of just like a list of superhero novels, and I haven't read any of them really. <laughs> right. I cannot imagine being like, oh, look, a Daredevil prose novel. I got to get into that. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it.
1: Right yeah it's weird I I think it's gotta come down to the public's need for the spectacle like Mm -hmm. things like sci-fi and fantasy have a long tradition in prose form and so there's a cultural acceptance to that and the fact that the the tradition so long they existed before they were able to adequately transfer those ideas onto screens you know in the 50s and 60s you know I just feel like the public's I wanna say discovery of superheroes, but f- kind of. Well, the the sort of widespread comes along at a love. time in which they can go to the movies and see it in yes full
0: cinemascope, Technicolor, and and you don't really you just can't get that in novels. And since you can't get a lot of those people to go read the comics, right. then taking them not even one step further, but a couple steps further, and being like, read the prose of this. But like to to be fair, like in my mind, because I just saw there was a Daredevil a Daredevil novel, and I just thought. I really, if I was going to read Daredevil, I just want to read comics because right. such a large part of that is Frank Miller, John Romita Jr. It, you know, like right. if I'm going to read superheroes, I'm going to I'm going to read it in the format it was best, you know, that, that was not quite designed for it. But the, the thing that really
1: it is interesting.
0: It is. It's really interesting.
1: They dominate
0: everything else but there's no reason why you can't tell a story like that in novel form and have it no. be absolutely great and compelling i mean and you have no. i'm
1: telling you Will Soon- yeah. Be invincible is a great book and i really did enjoy once Credit sky and the, mm-hmm. some of those other adaptations allowed you to do things that you can do in novels like go into the inner life of the character that you can't really do in comics as well
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah you can do it in comics but it's super boring in comic form
1: i remember the crisis novel and a Kingdom Come novel, I remember, you you got to spend a lot more time into the thoughts and the feelings of the characters that you didn't get to do in the book. So that, it allows you to do different things. And you can absolutely tell great stories because, as Josh just said, a good story is a good story. The question is, why doesn't it take off? I don't know. Yeah,
0: I mean. But, why don't know, the it, comics take off? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, chances are a lot of those novels, just as many people read them as, uh, as read most comics. But they considered an absolute failure in publishing. <laughs> <laughs> we only sold 5,000 copies over at Simon & Schuster they're like oh it's a disaster over at Image they're like my god we can pay the rent I'm actually pretty sure 5,000 gets you on the best sell list yeah I, I know I'm just...
1: contact contacted I... ifamboy.com. Stu wrote in and that's a good question and we don't have an answer but it was fun to, to noodle around in our heads about it sure so thanks for writing in
0: Hey, uh, if you're listening to this, then that means on the week it comes out, that that means that last week I released an episode of iFanBoys Talks Explode, speaking with uh, artist, cartoonist Steve Lieber, who I will describe as an old pro. And I don't mean old as in terms of age, but just he's a guy who came up with a, a different group of artists than, you know, he like he was taught. It was really interesting. He was taught by guys at the Kubert School from like the 50s. Right you know he learned from Kubert. he learned from that guy's contemporaries and he's still bringing a lot of that stuff into the work that he's doing and I think that for a little while in comics he was this is a preview but he was a man out of time and and more recently like he found a way to fit in and I'm gonna tell you right now I said do you ever you know like are, you're you're known for doing funny comics now he's like I never thought I was very funny I was never trying to do funny comics until all of a sudden I started doing it and I was like that is fascinating was he funny on the show? It's kind of funny because I remember we interviewed him at the video show, and he—I remember—not yeah. it was like you know
1: not a bad interview, but it wasn't like interviewing Jeff,
0: who hes again? not Parker, Jeff Parker, yeah. Well, him and Parker are buddies. No, but I'm saying it's like yeah. he's just a different personality type. That's all. Yes, he does. No, he he's he's his he's his own person. I, I like him a lot. He's you know I always say this when I when I talk to comics people, the ones that I like best are just the ones who just love comics. Like, what would you do? I make comics. That's all. Like that's you know that's what they're made for. Steve Lieber is made for making comics. Um, and he talked to me for quite a while, and I, and I really enjoyed the talk. And I think that uh, if you're listening, you will too. There's, there's some good sort of shop talk stuff and, and things like that.
1: So August means it's Booksplode time, and Josh and I will be reviewing Pluto Volume 1 some point in August, hopefully soon. I'm not going to commit to the date now, but hopefully soon. And then mm-hmm. after that, of course, there'll be a TalkSplode. And both the Booksplode and the TalkSplode show that were unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com. Thank you very much. Head over to iFanboy.com. That's where you can find all the podcasts, this show, the Booksplode, the TalkSplode, the media splode, special edition shows when they return. They're all at ifanboy.com. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by liking facebook.com slash ifanboy or following at ifanboy on Twitter or at ifanboycomics on Instagram where you can also find the best of the week of panels feature. And individually, we are C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram, J.A. Flanagan on Instagram. Also, he's still on Twitter, but not really. And you also can subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash fanboy. Like and subscribe, people. You can keep up to date on the old video show, Re-Uploads, which is happening. It's going to happen over the course of a couple of years because there's a lot of old video shows. We're doing three a week. Every Monday is a new mini-episode. This past week was the Pick of the Week Spotlight on Action Comics 863. That's Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. And then we had our two-part trip to San Diego Comic-Con 2007. So if you want to see what the comic world looked like 13 years ago and what we looked like 13 years ago, check those
0: out over at Ivanboy. Can I tell you about the full-body terror I just experienced when you said... A new mini every Monday. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I went. What the what? I really. I had a full out of body thing there. Did you not read the it, email. It was like forgetting I had done my. I hadn't done my homework for thirteen years. You're up first. I have nightmares about that, by the way. Of like waking up in real and realizing it's the end of the semester and I didn't do any homework.
1: I have these nightmares that are so real that I think I shouldn't have graduated college because I stopped going to a class and never got the credit. It's this recurring nightmare where I stopped going to like a math class in college because yeah. I was like, this is stupid. And then I'm like, oh, I never finished that class. I never passed that class. I never got the credit for that
0: class. I shouldn't have graduated. That happens regularly. That's interesting because my version of it is is that it's the end and I think I'm done like the end of a semester or the year and then I remember that I I forgot to go to a class. And it wasn't that I said this is stupid. I just forgot it was there one day. And Connor, you know this is my personality yeah. is that I'm going to forget something very important. And I'm also like, in addition to my ability to forget that things supposed to are supposed to happen, I am like a, um, a relationship, or I'm sorry, a responsibility sponge. Like I'm right. like, I will take it all on. I had the dream all the time. It is terrible.
1: But even though I know it's a dream, I, I still I wake up and I, I spend some time going. What class was I that? I, did
0: I stop going to a class in
1: college? Like, I, I, I it's just I've got to mentally get out of it because it's so vivid that I, I yeah. I'm not quite sure I didn't stop going to a class in college.
0: Uh, yeah, I didn't. Now that I did, I no, I didn't. I, might have. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I'm the guy. I'm the guy who read every book they assigned mm. all, all through. That was I never anyway. If you like this show and what it has become, you could write us a review. You could leave a star rating on Apple Podcasts. Um, you could go to the Guitar Center where Connor is recording and tell them that you really like <laughs> the job they're doing there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Better yet, tell your friends about it. I just I want to I want to acknowledge what everyone's thinking. That's it's fine. not Connor's fault. You no, can't do anything it's about not me. it and and there we are so uh thanks you thanks you thanks you thanks thanks you too you. buddy buddy pal thanks for listening everybody thanks for all the support that we get thanks for making us feel like we're good at the thing and coming back every week and thank you connor thank you josh all right what's going on are we ending the show yeah
1: like for good yeah no <laughs> i mean you can can we, can we
0: do that?
1: Listen, everybody, stay safe out there. Wash your hands, wear your masks, stay distant from each other.
0: Use your brains. You you know what's up.
1: I need you all to comply because I need to get outside.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right, until next week, I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Bye. bye!